Hey there, romance nerds. I'm Jen. And I'm Jackie. We're two librarians from Nopal in upstate New York, and you're listening to Raging Romantics. In this podcast, we like to think a little too deeply about romance books. If you're into theory, history, and raging about romance landia, then you should stick around. Please be advised that some of the things we talk about may not be suitable for younger listeners. Content warnings for episodes are available in the show notes. Jen, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Let's rage! Well, hey there, romance nerds. Jen and I have a special treat for you today. We're sitting down with the one, the only, Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Everybody give a big round of applause. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Have you ever heard um, my tribute to librarians? No. No. I always talk about, I love talking about librarians, for example, um, you know, the old image of the stuffy librarian with oh, the bun in her hair and everything. And <laughs> what I always say is um, I've been to a lot of librarian conventions. Number one, you guys can drink me under the table. Yeah. Number two, I have never seen so much blue hair or so many tattoos in mm. my life. <laughs> Accurate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we started having tattooing parlors at our conferences actually in New York. Yeah. You are kidding me, really? No, yeah. I, you almost got one. I ugh, I want one, but they fill up so fast. Like, so say conference opens on Thursday at nine, mm-hmm. he will be booked out for the entire week by Thursday at 930. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, I'm adding that to my arsenal of librarian stories. <laughs> it's a good story. It's a good story. It's really fun. Well, we cannot wait to talk today about your illustrious career, your back catalog, your writing process, and your hopes and dreams for Romance Landia, because we know we have a lot of hopes and dreams for Romance Landia. Um, So to start with, for anybody who hasn't picked up a Susan Elizabeth Phillips title before, could you please introduce yourself for our lovely listeners? Well, Susan Elizabeth Phillips here. Um... My new book, Simply the Best, is my 26th book, my 10th in the Chicago Stars series. I'm going to just kind of ramble through this, okay? All all of my books stand alone, even those that are part of a series. I'm kind of tagged as writing romance, uh, romantic comedy because I can write very funny dialogue, but I like to think that the books go a little bit beyond that. My books straddle that boundary between romance and women's fiction they can go Mm -hmm. both ways because I always have a strong love story but I also like writing about friendships and family and community and some some of those kind of issues so you'll laugh and I hope you might cry too and that's a Susan Elizabeth Phillips book oh it's beautiful (laughs) so what do you love about writing and reading romance well I like um, a lot of genre fiction Mm. because you have a satisfying ending. I really, really do not enjoy uh, watching movies, television that doesn't have a satisfactory ending Mm. or reading books. I want that guarantee. Mm -hmm. Uh, Leaving things hanging up in the air just isn't for me. That's what real life is, right? And with romance, I love writing love stories happy ending love stories. And I love writing these stories about family and about people connecting. And that's what the romance and a lot of the women's fiction genre does. And 
that's that's where my sweet spot is for reading. Every once in a while, I go off on some some reading tangents, but that's what I really, really love reading. Yeah, we love a cliffhanger sometimes, but not all the time and not in romance. Yeah, and I don't want a cliffhanger unless I can open the next book right away. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. So your first book, The Copeland Bride, came out in 1983. And it sounds like there's a bit of a Cinderella story behind how it was published. Can you share that story? Uh, the, the long version is on my website at SusanElizabethPhillips.com. The short version is that I started writing a book with a friend. We were both home with little kids and it was um, just something to do for fun. We'd plot the books in whoever's kitchen had the longest dinner to make. And then uh, usually my writing partner at the time would go off and she'd write a rough draft and she'd give it to me. And I would sometimes just fix it up and sometimes I'd change the whole scene. And th this was the the way it went. Um, we had about 170 pages of that book written when through a friend of a friend, we sent it to an editor at Dell Publishing. They called in two weeks. They said, we like your book and uh, we're prepared to make you an offer on it. They paid $3,500 for the book. It took us two years to write. We had to split the money in half so it wasn't a, what you would call a profit-making enterprise, mm -hmm. but it was really, really fun. Um, and the, the story kind of reinforces the idea that you have to know someone to get published. But you might, what knowing someone did, got the manuscript read quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and historical romance was so popular right then. Mm -hmm. So it just went right into that niche. Uh, when the book the book came out, and at that point, my co-writer had decided she was going to go to law school. She moved out of state, and I was left to write a book on my own, which was not nearly as much fun as writing with a friend. Yeah. But my uh, so I my I kind of stumbled into the career just as a way to have fun. Yeah, yeah, and romance books too. Back in 1983, like you said historical was huge the romance landia publishing scene it looked completely different from how it looks today yep. so you kind of jumped in with historical but you haven't really written historical since then correct i wrote one after that mm -hmm. um which is still in print it's called just imagine and it's an old style bodice ripper in the truest sense of the word you know uh, that word appears here and there to just well not so much anymore but it used mm -hmm. to describe the romance market in general, they call them bodice rippers. Um, but that really was a very, very specific right. kind of book where you had yeah. these super mm -hmm. alpha heroines and and uh, heroines or heroes rather, and heroines mm -hmm. were sometimes a little too passive. Um, but that book was part of that. You know what? I still kind of love it. Yeah, That's fair. I do feel like bodice ripper still exists, but it's, I think it's moved to like a dark romance to more of an indie print. Mm -hmm. So it's like interesting that you got to have that start in mainstream back then. Yeah. yeah. That whole historical romance period was, was, it was very interesting. And I have a theory about it. Okay. Um, we had rape fantasies fulfilled in those books, which makes readers very, very uncomfortable today. Mm -hmm. But what I think was going on, those books were coming out in the 1980s and those of us who grew up in the 50s 
were raised to believe good girls didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. The only way you could have satisfactory sex was if it was against your will. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that that was, that's something that younger readers absolutely can't grasp. And I totally understand that. But I think that's what made that those books so popular mm -hmm. at the time. We just did a whole episode about virgins and like where possibly the origin of the virgin trope came from. But I, as a medievalist, took it all the way back to medieval literature and art with dragons and unicorns. Um, and I talked about how this kind of idea of virginity perpetuated itself really until the 21st century yeah. in literature and especially in romance where the heroine was always a virgin at the yeah, start yeah, of the book mm -hmm. yeah. and then she was only ever with the hero and like you said it was yeah. basically a rape fantasy where the hero always had to basically force the heroine mm -hmm. and the heroine remained a good girl yes yeah. <laughs> that mm -hmm. wasn't her fault mm -hmm. yes no I remember you saying that about flame and the flower in an interview yeah because I've, I've read Flame and the Flower, Flame and the Flower. <laughs> but it's not really for my time because I, I yeah. was lucky enough that in my time, like, I think we, women can be a little more open about sexual desire fantasies. We don't oh, have to kind of cloak it like Flame yeah. and the Flower had to. I totally understand that. I feel like, too, with the fantasy fantasy component, I think just even like getting to go on these grand adventures was such a big deal for the historical yeah. market. Yes. I remember reading that with Flame and the Flower was that was one of the first ones where it was really like she's going on this big sailing adventure she's going to new lands you know with a husband she hates but she's like getting out of her her life as she knew it I think that is a really really good point yeah mm -hmm. I like that idea and I think you're right on with it to speak about historical romances you moved pretty quickly after those first two historicals into contemporary was that something you kind of stumbled into? Was that on purpose? Did you kind of always want to write contemporary? How did that happen? There is nothing calculated about any point in my career. Um, it's always just been, been where I've been able to follow whatever interested me at the time. And one of the reasons was I did not have to support our family. Mm. Um, my husband had a good job, full-time work, I, I didn't have to keep the roof, of, roof over our heads. So in a way, I almost approached it as a hobbyist. Mm. I could do whatever I wanted. And one of the things I discovered as I was writing the two historicals was that I really wanted to write contemporary dialogue. And yeah. that's where I made I made the shift and really never want to go back. I can't see myself ever writing um, historical novels again, although I still love reading them. But um, yeah, it's it's that writing in that contemporary voice. Mm, yeah. Plus the slang and the lingo. Yeah. It's not that it's easier to write, but it can feel like it can flow better, I think, sometimes. Both as yeah, but you have to be really careful with that because you... Number one, the, the informal language you use with the character has to be appropriate to that character. And you don't want to get too cutesy with your slang. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, because some some of those phrases last and some of them don't. Yeah. And you have to be really careful. Here's an example of that. The very end of my novel, Dance Away With Me, we're in the viewpoint of, I think, an 11-year-old. Mm -hmm. And at the end, she's, she's talking, one of the last lines, she says about how embarrassing uh, her family is. And I had this long, long debate with myself. Am I going to say embarrassing? Am I going to say cringy? <laughs> <laughs> 
And I thought, you know what? I don't think cringy. It may not last. I've got to say embarrassing. And I have regretted that ever oh, since. Yeah, cringy. <laughs> I think is sticking around. Yeah, it's it's going to stick. Yeah, but I, you know, if you're writing, you know, if you want to do a thoughtful job um, with as a writer, and when you're writing those contemporary voices, you have to make those decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I chose wrong. We're reading a book right now for book club called The Dead Romantics, and I love it. And not to give anything away for Jen, who hasn't read it yet, but they talk about using a squatty potty in it. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I I just know I'm going to have to answer the question during book club. What is a squatty potty? You think so? I think think with a couple of readers. It is interesting because just this this discussion, I'm thinking about how careful, too, you have to make it that it's not too topical. Mm -hmm. Like, I love J.R. Ward's writing, but I notice a lot of times she focuses so much on pop culture and, like, pop culture jokes that in 10 years, I don't think people are going to necessarily remember what she's even talking to. Yeah. Yeah. That, and you make a decision on every one of those. Yeah. Sometimes you get it right. And sometimes you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. In my book, it had to be you, which is the very first of the Chicago stars book. We have um, the um, we have locker room interviews mm-hmm. and guess who's doing the locker room interviews. Mm-hmm. OJ Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read that book in so long. I can't. Oh my gosh. I yep. love that. I shouldn't laugh. Oh, yeah, you oh, love it. God. You didn't write the book. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, yeah. I think uh, we fixed that, did something with that in the, um, oh, yeah, go ahead and keep laughing. I'm sorry. I'm I sorry. I'll we, stop. We did something like that in the e-versions where we could update it. But if you yeah. look at the print version so old oj is right there wow so who would yeah. you switch it to just like a general broadcast? i can't remember what we did i you know i came up with somebody else but that's why you have to be so careful wow yeah talk about too specific mm-hmm. that's amazing well, Jen, lead us away so we don't dissolve into a fit of giggles what's next <laughs> So you've said before that you felt pressured to write faster. I think especially nowadays with romance authors, they feel the need to publish or perish. I think especially with like Amazon Kindle kind of bearing down on you. How do you combat this pressure? And have you kind of found like a happy spot? I can only write as fast as I can write. Mm-hmm. I am because I don't, I'm a total panster. I don't work from outlines. I just have a situation. I think of something in my mind, you know, I have this situation in mind and I open the keyboard and I go chapter one and then I go, oh, well, where does this start? I mean, it's a ridiculous process, Mm -hmm. but it's the only way I can write. I'm not going to speed up. Um, I work pretty much every day, at least for an hour uh, so that I don't lose the thread of where I am. And that's it. You know, and, and again, I appreciate the luxury of being able to do that yeah. where I, I don't have to support children, little kids with my writing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know what I would do. I probably have to do something else. Mm-hmm. Has it, so as somebody who was writing before Kindle Unlimited or like the indie romance online sphere really popped up, has it kind of always been that way of like the drive to push books out faster? And I mean, as a business standpoint, I imagine it has, but to keep pushing books out faster and faster, did you see yes, that? absolutely, mm-hmm. especially in romance. And I bet anything that with thriller writers or some of the male other genres, <laughs> I bet they're not being pushed. Mm-hmm. And part of it is a good thing. It's because romance writers are just such huge readers. They yeah, need yes. more books. They constantly, mm-hmm. constantly need more books, right? Yeah. 
And I notice over the years, what I've seen is no matter what kind of a deadline, when you're uh, negotiating a contract, no matter what kind of a deadline you ask for, they'll try to push it up. <laughs> ah. And you know what? That's their job. Yeah. But it's not the writer's job to, to do that. Yeah. If you want to deliver, I'm not going to turn a book over to them until it's absolutely the best I can get, until I'm really ready for input and really ready to fix it. Um, I just, I couldn't turn over half-baked work. And we do see some writers who write fast who are just brilliant with it. And some writers who write fast you're like dude this is a first draft yeah. so that's really nice cool. you're kind of living the dream you get to do like whatever you want when you want it you can go switch into contemporary rock star sports I remember reading an interview you said you were some like one of the first contemporary authors to do like sports and rock star and some of these other things you didn't know were like okay to do okay yeah that's a good or what word. was I you used like a specific term I think you said that you weren't supposed to write those things so what the story is about that is I created the sports romance in, mm -hmm. let me think, 1989. Wow. A book called Fancy Pants, yes. which was about the most boring sport ever, golf. <laughs> and yeah. and golf then, yeah, and then went on with It Had to Be You, the first mm -hmm. Chicago Stars book, uh, which was 1994. I was not writing, this was... Uh, before Romance Writers of America kicked in, I wasn't around other romance writers and I wasn't writing for any, for Harlequin or any of the series. Mm -hmm. Because of this, I didn't know what the rules were. Mm -hmm. And the rules were, you don't write about sports, you don't write about rock stars, you don't write about actors, all of whom I've written wow. about. Since yeah. wow. But I didn't know there was a rule. Yeah. That's so weird. There was ever a rule. Was it like on a like an actual bullet point list somewhere at RWA? Was it just like an understood thing? You couldn't write these things this was before RWA. I oh, okay, okay. Oh yeah, I do not know the exact answer to this, mm. but I speculate. Here's what makes sense to me: Harlequin is international, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm guessing that they thought if we wrote about. Um, I mean, I remember it was a big deal to even have American fo uh, focused uh, Harlequin. If we wrote about American sports, they would lose their international market. Oh, okay. I can see how logically thought they thought that was true, mm -hmm. but in fact, it turned out not to be true at all. Yeah, my American football books. Do you know what my second biggest market is? Somewhere in Asia. Nope, Germany. Oh, okay. Germany is a huge market for me. Eastern Europe is a huge market for me. Mm -hmm. All of those um, countries where soccer is the big sport, they don't know American football, but the stories are so universal. Mm, that's true. Um, so it was it was a bad call, but I guess I'm I'm guessing it was just a business call. But I'm so glad I'm a rule follower. I'm so glad nobody told me there was a rule. <laughs> We are too. Yeah, we really are. Because awesome. now sports is like a, a pillar of the romance mm -hmm. community. I love sports romance. I don't even like sports. Like sports suck, but I love the sports romance books. And you did get the point I made, right? That I founded that genre. Yes, mm -hmm. you did. You're amazing. My place in history. <laughs> right? Raging Romantics guarantee Susan Elizabeth Phillips started sports romance. Yeah. yeah. Huzzah. Uh -oh. <laughs> so what, you know, the book, because the books aren't about sports. All yeah. is we found another archetype to play with. Mm -hmm. yeah. You've got the cowboy, you've got the detective, you've got the pirate, you've got the soldier. And the athlete was probably one the last of those archetypes mm -hmm. that I 
fed into, you know, out of ignorance. But that's why the books are so good. You've got a great archetype that you're writing into. And how many of those books actually have a football game in them? I think of all my Chicago Stars book, one book has a football game mm-hmm. in it. And that's the first. It had to be you. That's my favorite yeah. sports romance. <laughs> that book, my... um. I've had this idea all along about what if a woman who knew nothing about sports inherited a professional football team. It's pretty funny. I thought that was so darn funny. I had to write that book. So I had to place it during the season because the heroes, the coach, and I I mean, I just love that whole idea, but it was not supposed to be a series Mm -hmm. except in the beginning of that book, this wide receiver out of Tellerosa, Texas named Bobby Tom Denton came in that book and he was so arrogant. I thought, I got to know more about this guy. Mm-hmm. So I went to write his book. And then I did something else. And then I started thinking about what if there's a woman who was a genius and she was so brilliant that she was an outcast her whole life. And she's 30 years old now. She's never had a really significant relationship. And she wants to have a child, but she is determined that her child will not have to grow up brilliant and be an outcast like she was. So she has to find somebody really stupid to father. <laughs> the and that took us right back to the Chicago stars. Oh, I love you that. like made the first Timbo. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, and when she finds out, this is nobody's baby, but mine, when mm-hmm. she finds out how bright he is, she is so pissed <laughs> <laughs> she feels totally betrayed it's amazing that's such a great premise for yeah, your story it's beautiful do you when you get your inspiration do you draw your inspiration from anywhere or is it just kind of these ideas that you start tumble tumble what's they that? just like pop yeah snowballing in your head there's the word tumble have you not learned yet in all of your years of podcasts not to ask authors where they get their inspiration <laughs> It's always a different answer, and I'm always yeah. so intrigued. It just makes me talk. It just talks about. It makes me feel like a total bimbo. I don't know. I just start thinking of things. <laughs> well, that's beautiful because that makes other people think. Oh, I could just start of other thing. Think of things too. Yeah. So it's like yeah, a beautiful well, answer. If I'm really, really feeling like, um, uh, in a in a huffy mood, I say, "Well, I have a warehouse in Tulsa, and I'm the only one." <laughs> That's so snarky, though. It's beautiful. Some all, some answers are should be snarky, though. So it's perfect. <laughs> We've gotten everything from like, well, I really wanted to fix this TV relationship mm-hmm. to the usual is always, well, I don't know. They just come to me. Yeah. And yeah. I just love that as yeah. authors, as writers, it's always my brain just works like this. And I love that I, so it's much. so weird. I remember Barbara Taylor Bradford. What was that big book she did? Oh. A woman. Um. It was huge during the 80s, I think. And she said she got the inspiration for that book while she was vacuuming up cat hair. Oh, on the okay. That makes sense, though, because I get a lot of ideas when I'm driving or cleaning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or in the shower. Yeah. Yes. Like when you're doing something kind of like. Yeah. And then by the time routine. you get out and you go to write it down, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. knock on wood. Knock on wood. Um, so how do you feel that romance readers have changed over the years? Well, that that leads to the whole question about how the market has changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, of course, when I started writing, there were um, there was no social media, mm-hmm. um, there were no ebooks, 
there was hardly any audio. And as the market, as all of these things kicked in, our readership grew and grew and grew. So you had the influence of people being able to access books in different ways. You have the whole idea of people being able to interact with their favorite art uh, authors on social media. But then what was happening in the romance industry, because for so long, it's not that way anymore, but for so long we could fly under the radar. Yeah. Uh, the, the literati paid no attention to us. So as authors, we could do anything we wanted. Mm -hmm. There has been more innovation in the romance industry than in any, any other part of publishing. No snaps for that. <laughs> so what happens is you have people who, you know, at one point maybe only wanted to read science fiction and then they see there's a dragon um, or fantasy. And uh, we have romances that are mysteries and romances that are thrillers. We hit every kind of market. We have historical and contemporary. We have social issue books. We have books that are sort of tearjerkers. We have books that are funny. And when you have that wide a range, you can appeal to so many different readers. And that's the reason the market has gotten so huge. Mm -hmm. Also, I don't see the... Um, wisecracks about the market, about romance oh. readers that I used to, not yeah. close. Mm -hmm. And it's because almost anybody who's a reader has read a romance. Yeah. And so that kind of kickback is pretty much, uh, the only time you hear it now are from people who don't read. It's right. pretty <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, I will admit, I read Sarah J. Moss. I'm a fan of her books and her newest one just came out this past week. She was on the Today Show and uh, Jenna Bush Hager interviewed, yeah, interviewed her. Before. It was an amazing interview and she talks about um, her writing. And then at the end of it, all the hosts of the Today Show are sitting down together. And of course, one of the hosts is not a reader and he starts making fun of Jenna for writing that fantasy smut or reading that fantasy yeah. smut. And then Vulture just came out with um, an article, which I don't know if they were going off the cuff, but a lot of people have taken it kind of the wrong way. And it says the queen of fairy smut is like mm. the title of that. And how do you feel as a reader and a writer about the word smut in association with romance? Um, I ignore it unless somebody puts it in my face and that hasn't happened in years. When it has happened in the past, and I'm talking, gosh, it's probably been 15 years since anybody's done that. I do the dead cold stare. <laughs> and, you know, I have a background in theater. I can do it really well. Utter silence, the mm. cold stare, and I just let them sweat. Oh, it's so good. I almost That's love beautiful. it. <laughs> I just imagine like if you could do the librarian eyebrow with it too. If I could if I could do that with my eyebrows, but I had a little Botox in here, so I can't yeah. actually actually <laughs> maneuver good. my eyebrows. You still got well. the stare down pat. Mm -hmm. I love it. I can feel the spirit <laughs> of the eyebrow. Yes. yes. I love that. I mean, it is just, it, I have to do that because it's so enraging that someone would actually say that to your face. Yeah. yeah. We get it a little bit at the library still. Yeah. And every so often, like you said, it's people who don't really yeah, read. Yeah, or no. Books. I actually do have I have, I run a memoir book club too in a, in conjunction with the romance book club I do with Jackie and all my memoir people like they make fun of me for the romance book club yeah. and they're readers but there is just something but they're older women so I wonder if they still have like the negative associations yeah, from it for like 20 oh, years they're ago. Really yeah. like crazy they're really <laughs> they're just lying oh. to me 
But I think if anybody uses the word smut, you look at them and you say, mm. oh, are you looking for erotica? Yeah. <laughs> Certainly got that in the romance yeah. industry. Writers who are writing erotica. And right. I, I would tend to t- treat it as a serious question, even if it's not. Mm. So do you, do you like that people are kind of associating? I feel like now our generation, at least, is kind of calling romance smut as like fondly. You know, it's like a little more affectionate to be like, oh, let me go read my smut. I see it to, to answer and to add to what Jen just said. I see it as somebody who is on a lot of social media where I see both sides. Mm-hmm. I see people who do use it as it has historically been used as um, as a criticism. But I do also see, like Jen was saying, readers like us, especially heavy romance readers, readers who do like the spicier side of things, using the word smut kind of like teehee, ha ha. I almost think it's an up. in-group thing. yeah. Well, it sucks and stop doing it. Okay. okay. Yes, ma'am. Well, we've heard from you. <laughs> Want the cold-eyed stare? No, I don't. <laughs> I guess in the same vein then, I've been having a, like, I don't want to call it a personal problem, but I've been thinking a lot about how we define alphas. Because, like, as romance readers, I know very much what an alpha is. I've been using the term since I started reading romance when I was way too young. But, but, it, but lately, it feels like like there's these male podcasters like Andrew Tate or people in the manosphere that are trying to like take over this this kind of idea of an alpha and make it much more toxic and like very gross and very like ooh I need a low like you're a low value woman I'm an alpha I need a high value like they're they're just very like ugh about it have have you seen that do you feel that pressure at all when you write your alpha heroes I've read interviews where where you're like very proud to write that are you feeling that kind of like okay The reason I like the alpha hero is I want real emotional conflict between Mm -hmm. the hero and hero in the beginning, not situational. Yeah, I shouldn't say not. It's going to be situational, but I want those sparks to fly. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that turns me off a book faster than when the hero and heroine immediately are attracted to each other on page one. Okay, so no insta-lust or insta-love. It, I want the story to grow. Mm-hmm. I like to write real guys as much as I can, even though they're certainly exaggerated with their, their heroism. <laughs> but I'm not, I want to be true to that. I love men too. I mean, I, I because I have so many in my family and I'm, I'm surrounded by great guys mm-hmm. and I really like that, but they don't think the same way. Mo- most men do not think the same way women do. Mm-hmm. So I want that conflict that tension between them and i will get criticized for it and you know what fine there are plenty of other authors who don't do go find them but in a susan elizabeth phillips book there is going to be a really really strong male Mm -hmm. and the heroine is not gonna like it and there is going to be a crunch there we like the we like tension yeah tension's good it's Mm -hmm. great especially when they're budding heads And the heroine stands up to the hero. We love to see it. We do. Oh, yeah. She has to. She's not going to let him roll all over her. Mm-hmm. And that slow burn is so much more attractive to me than people getting it on right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that even though we have some of that at the beginning of Simply the Best. But um, that is what leads to the conflict in the book. the first like three pages. I was like, oh, this is different. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it doesn't go well. Yeah, it doesn't go well. No, no, that was it was a fun. It was fun. Um, So what then, in your opinion, makes a good rom-com? Okay, I'm going to this is not going to be sequential. Okay, so just stick with me. 
slapstick doesn't play well in a novel generally. So having somebody slip on a banana peel might be funny if you saw the video of it, but saying somebody slipped on a banana peel doesn't work. So you're gonna to have to find the um, comedy through the dialogue and through the situation. Um, I think some people naturally write funny. And I think some authors think, oh, rom-com is hot. Now I'm going to try to write funny. And it's just silly. Yeah. It doesn't work. Which it goes to the point that writers need to find their own voice. This is the only way you're going to become successful, not trying to imitate somebody else. Mm -hmm. You need to find your own voice. Um, and that may be rom-com or it may not. But also this, you know, this thing with what is a rom-com, we use that, they're probably, we're probably using that was simply the best. Is it a rom-com? It has funny, it has very funny dialogue in it. It's got romance. It has a mystery and it has a little bit of heartbreak in it mm -hmm. too. So it's, it's a label. We, it's a marketing label. Yeah. yeah. I think it's what it comes down to. We've had this discussion in book club and on the podcast before of what makes a rom-com and ultimately it's one of those, well, it's a romantic comedy. Does it have romance? Does it have some comedy in it? Yeah. Then I guess it's a rom-com, but I think there's no real satisfying answer of yes, this is a rom-com. This is not a rom-com. Like it's like yeah. movies. I think it's, it's a book. Taste. Yeah. It's a book. It's a romance. <laughs> it's a good book. <laughs> it might make you laugh. <laughs> well, and even when we say romance, I mean, what about those books like mine that are do sit on the cusp between romance and women's fiction? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, a lot of that too is marketing. Yeah, because I've had so many people who've never who tell me they've never read a romance and they're they're reading my books and enjoying my books. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. It's a romance. It does seem to bother some people to read like a romance versus like a like a love story. Like I always think about um Nicholas Sparks getting very offended when he was called a romance author one time. And he was like, No, I write love stories. <laughs> like people do have a weird thing with the term. Well, a love story doesn't guarantee that either the hero right. or everyone are gonna be either alive or together mm -hmm. at the end. And I guess he likes killing his characters off. Yeah. I, I just I really don't like it, you know, yeah. and but many, many readers do. And you know what? That's absolutely fine. Yeah. They like the emotion and the cry at the end. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's not what I do. So, again, uh, to help sell my books, if you really want to cry at the end and not have the hero and heroine together, perhaps read Nicholas Sparks instead. Of <laughs> yeah. How am I doing selling my books here? You're amazing. I'm really hoping everybody comes like just barreling down the library doors to come get some uh, Susan Elizabeth buy, Phillips like, four book. copies of Glitter Baby. Yes. I love that book. So. <laughs> so tell us about the first time you made the New York Times bestseller list. Like that's a really big achievement. It was with, um, let me think, Copeland Bride, Numbers and Glory. It a glitter baby. It came right after. It was my fourth book, and I didn't understand why it was such a big deal. It was okay. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I've been now, later on. Mm. I did something, but at that point, mm. I was like, oh, "Okay, cool." I remember my editor called me, and she said, "Are you sitting down?" And I said, "Okay." I wasn't. She said, "You made the New York Times list," and she was so excited. I went, "Oh, cool." <laughs> I do love it because sometimes those bestseller lists are so arbitrary yeah. too. And especially nowadays with all the pre-sales and marketing mm -hmm. and all that stuff. It, 
I don't know. I don't post bestseller lists in the library okay. anymore. I just kind of let. Do you get anything for being on the New York Times? Like, do they send you like a plaque or a certificate or it's just like a, like a little bragging right you get to carry? You get roses. Oh. And like when, um, when first star see tonight, remember at one point the NYT was separating out um, eBooks, mm. which was great. Um, that gave us a little more of a fair playing ground. And when first star see tonight hit number one, I got a little crystal. Thingy. Wow. I actually, in some way, am more interested in the USA Today list. Yeah. I think that's a really, really interesting list. Yeah. But, you know, publishing in general is a New York centered business. So the New York Times means a lot to them. I get it. Um, and yeah, it's lovely, but I just want to find lots of readers and have them enjoy my sure. book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that sentiment. Um, so to speak a little bit about readership and marketing. Jen and I on this podcast, something we always come back to is these kind of seminal moments in romance publishing history. So for instance, like with Flame and the Flower or the impact of 2001 or the recession, or even more recently with COVID and the rise of indie publishing, like to unknown levels with 1994, 1995 and the acquisition of your book, it had to be you. That is considered one of these seminal moments in romance history. You've spoken about it. I've read other interviews and other reviews that have said the same thing. So many things happened with that book that drastically changed Romance Landia. What are some of the things you think that you and your team did at that time that have impacted modern romance today? All I did was write the book, <laughs> truly. <laughs> um when the RWA conference was coming along, my agent suggested to my editor that they give away a thousand free copies mm -hmm. of the book. I don't remember if anybody let me know about it. I'm, my memory is very foggy on that. Yeah. But of course, that's what really, you put a mm -hmm. thousand books in the hands of the supreme um, influencers, yeah. which yeah. is what we were doing, mm -hmm. that really, really vaulted that book because things had been kind of in an in a just an even trajectory for me until that book came along, uh, and at that point, when that was published, though, I was already deep into finishing up Heaven Texas, the the second one. So again, it wasn't a calculated plan. I didn't have much to do with it. I just have to. Always focus on writing the best book I can write Yeah, and being true to my readers. Yeah. And that's a good point of when you write a good book and you write a book that's true to yourself, I think the readers will always respond, respond to that. Mm -hmm. They'll always harmonize with that. I can't think of words. It's been a long day. It's beautiful. But they'll get it and they will. I'm going to stop talking. They'll okay. get it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So we've seen a lot of trends in romance covers over the years, you know, from the cinch, from Fabio to now cartoons and illustrated. What has been your favorite era of romance covers since you've been? I love the photographic covers. Yeah, um, those are nice. Natural Born Charmer was one of my favorite. Yeah, love covers. that one. <laughs> Cut off her head and had her dancing. Mm -hmm. I don't like covers that show the full male face. Okay. I don't like the female face. I don't like the full male face. Mm. I think once you put that full male face on, your readers are attracted to different things. I look at those full male faces and I go, oh my God, he's younger than my son. Mm -hmm. And that's an immediate turnoff. Yeah. Or some of these guys that are supposed to be so sexy. I mean, I just look at him and I laugh. So not you a know. Fabio fan? They're, 
Bob, oh, you know what? Fabio was great at that time. Yeah, remember, yes. I don't know if you guys remember, because you're pretty young, the cover for Flowers in the Storm. Yeah. When he is that full face cover and he's holding mm -hmm. that bouquet forward. It was so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and he had such a distinct look. So I would say that was an exception. Um, I've seen a couple other full face male covers I like, but it's because I, re I remember um, Eloisa James, their first, the wild cover, that guy with the the shirt, the wet shirt that looked like he'd come right out of the yes. water. It's um, over I on my that. shelf. I love that book. But that's the kind of male face that appeals to me. Yeah. So it's so subjective. So I, I go away from that. A kind of a funny thing happened. I don't have the paperback of When Stars Collide in front of me now, but when Stars Collide is my book about the backup quarterback and the opera singer, which was mm -hmm. a field I knew nothing about before I wrote that book. Um, and the uh, cover was an illustrated cover that was really, really cute. But when we went into mass market, you usually want it, when you go into mass market, you know, you, you have it in, in hardcover and then the trade paperback, which is the larger one, right. they have the same cover on it. But when you go into mass market, you're looking for, a, you want to tag it right to that romance um, uh, audience. So they had sent me a cover, um, two covers of a, of a man's chest holding a football. And in one, it's a bare chest and the other, the man is wearing a suit. Now his head is cut off in both of them. I went nuts for that picture of the guy holding the suit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, bare, the bare chest covers are, there are a zillion of them, right? Mm -hmm. But I thought that was so great. He's holding a football across his chest and I'm showing this to my husband. I'm saying, oh, look at this. This cover is so great. And he looked at the football. He says, Susan, this football has stripes on it. It's a college football, not an NFL football. <laughs> well, like, who cares about that part? I wouldn't notice. <laughs> uh, fortunately, it was the cover proof. It wasn't the oh, final. Oh, okay, that's good. good. So okay. we got rid of the stripes. But that's the kind of thing. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's so easy to let something like that yeah. slip. It's really funny. That's though. so funny. Like yeah. we would have never. Yeah, I would have known. I mean, I watched football. Some, I, I guarantee you, people would have known. And yeah, yeah, they would have known. Yeah. yeah. So Especially, I was really glad he got that. Especially now, I feel like in the mm -hmm. wake of Taylor Swift and Kelsey and yeah. everybody getting into football, that's the only reason I care about the NFL. <laughs> that's true. You know, they are so copying me. It's very. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's the plot of one mm -hmm. of your books oh my god they'll use some royalties <laughs> it's when stars collide it yeah. really is it's um well it's actually a lot of them and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm working on a book right now with a quarterback and a movie star oh nice Ooh. and so there you go that's pretty close to taylor yeah that's fun it's like you're telling the future yeah <laughs> um so let's shift gears and we'll talk more fully about Chicago All-Stars now. What drew you to that series in the first place? We've kind of mentioned it, but we haven't really yeah. talked about it. It was just that idea of yeah. what would happen if a woman who nothing knew nothing about sports inherited a football team. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if, a, if a, um, a character would catch my attention, once I realized how much readers loved that book, I was always looking for ideas that I could write into that, that would catch my attention that I would really enjoy. Um, and if I couldn't, I would write a standalone book. Um, but if I could, then I'm going to go into the stars direction. So it was just really finding a character who caught my attention mm -hmm. in when stars collide is the backup quarterback. And um, this is my last book and um, the opera singer. 
And right before I wrote that book, my husband, Bill, said to me, Susan, the Chicago Stars already have more quarterbacks than any team <laughs> in the NFL. You cannot do another quarterback. And that kind of annoyed me. So yeah. I said, okay, you, I'm going to write a backup quarterback. So there. <laughs> yes. Red shirt. <laughs> so if you write a backup quarterback, you have to know who the starting quarterback is. Mm -hmm. And that was a character named Clint Garrett. And he was really, really a cute secondary character. And so I, as I'm writing this book, I'm thinking, crap, readers are going to want his story. But he's too young for mm -hmm. his story. So I started thinking about that. And I thought, well, what would it be like if you were the older sister and you grew up in the shadow of your younger brother oh. who was good at everything mm -hmm. And you were kind of a failure. And that was, that's where I got the roots of Simply the Best, the, the book that's that's coming out right now. Um, and so I still had Clint in there. I had to deal with him. And it led to a kind of, you know, I have a stronger mystery plot in Simply the Best than in some of my books. And I, this was, is not my forte or forte, depending mm -hmm. on how pronouncing it this these days but um I really I, I love the mystery plot in that and I was quite proud of myself because I think I pulled that off and I did not think I was going to pull it off for a very long time I haven't finished it yet so no spoilers but I will not oh I absolutely <laughs> will not I was wondering what are you a sports fan like what what is it about the athlete that attracts you and, and made you want to write about them in the first place I I like football okay um, I do not I'm I'm athletic in that I'm a hiker, but mm -hmm. anything that, and I hike a lot, I have hiked all over the world, but anything that involves a ball, I just cry. Yeah, that's fair. I do too. Yeah. I mean, my husband's a big golfer. I, I finally had to give up golf because I cried on the golf course one too mm -hmm. many times. You know, you hear the cliche about the last kid in gym class. I mean, that truly was me. Yeah. Just got so, <laughs> You're in so company. But my father always watched football. I, he took me to fo high school football games when I was six years old. And my husband watched football. So I've grown up with football. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm more interested, unless like it's, if it's the Chicago Bears, I'm going to watch, um, which was a lesson in patience this season, let me say. But um, I'm more interested in, in the business of football and mm -hmm. what's going on in the uh, behind it all and the personal stories. So that's what I'm attracted to. Um, and the athlete is a just, he, again, a handy, handy archetype. Mm -hmm. But I'm really, really, I, after the Chicago Bears blew it, I started watching Kansas City because I love Patrick Mahomes. This was before Taylor and Travis. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> so... Um, and the last weekend with the AFC and the NFC championship games, those games were so good. They were good games. Jen's like, yeah. sure, but they I mean, I'll take your games. word for it. I trust you. Yeah. I yeah. saw the after of them happy. <laughs> well, yeah. I shouldn't say anything yeah. about, I, you're in New York, right? So I shouldn't yeah. say anything about Buffalo, but um, as a Midwesterner, I was really hoping Detroit would make it in, but they didn't. But yeah. anyway, it's it's been a great, great end of season, postseason on those games. So that's mm -hmm. fun. But don't ask me about any other sport. I know nothing. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever write a hiking romance? Maybe you'll start hiking romance next. There's, there's already hiking romances out there. Yeah, there are. I'm not a hiker either. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, happiness for beginners. Oh, that's a good book. Yeah. 
a great then, book, but I did not think she got her hiking completely accurate. Let me no. just say. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, at least in the movie, she looks so clean through the whole movie. Yeah. <clears throat> there was not nearly enough, like, I mean, obviously we couldn't smell her, but <laughs> there's not enough body hair in that. But, um... <laughs> no, it was, it was a terrific book. I, I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it never occurred to me until this minute to write a hiking romance. Maybe now I'll have to think about it. There you go, Jackie. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> you with a View was another really good one. It came out last year by Jessica Joyce. And it's kind of like a road trip, second chance. They hike in national parks. So it's not like out on the trail for days camping, mm. but it was still, that was a really good one too. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, I'm not out on the trails for day camping either. Yeah. I'm in a nice hotel at night. There you go. See, that's the part I like. Where? Yeah. Uh, I know it's another favorite question, but do you have a favorite place where you've hiked? Oh my gosh. I loved hiking in Morocco. Oh. Um, I loved, I just did Greece. Um, before that, it was uh, the Czech Republic. I love hiking in England with all those open. Yep has i'm gonna hike in scotland this summer but oh. before anybody i you know true confessions here um i am a little older than i I started hiking about 20 years ago and i'm not doing the long hikes i did then mm. um ba basically if there's going to be a three or a four or a five mile downhill i'm going to bail i'll climb it but i'm going to bail on the downhill my my wonky knees don't like it so anybody who has the image of me as a hard body just get it out of your head right oh, now okay yeah <laughs> Well, I will look forward to see if we have a hiking romance down the line. All right. So, there we go. <laughs> um, you have a book coming out the week after this episode goes live, um, February 13th. Congratulations. We've already talked a little bit about it, but can you give us the elevator pitch for Simply the Best? I sure can. I'd love to. <laughs> so in Simply the Best, the hero is a shark of the super successful sports agent. Uh, winner takes all. Failure is not an option. The heroine is a failed chocolatier. And she, as I said, has grown up in the shadow of her younger brother who's successful at everything. And he's also the hero's most important client. Oh. So it's a romance, but it's also a story about success and failure and what you have to do to be simply the best. It's beautiful. I have Tina stuck in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we let you go, can you please settle a debate between me and Jackie? Because okay. you have written rock star romances oh before. Yeah. We have had this fight for like three years. Does a country music star, is that a cowboy romance or is it a rock star romance? Really, all the problems there are to solve yes. in this world, and this mm -hmm. is what you two are dealing with. Yes. She won't let it go. <laughs> You're wrong about it. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, it depends on how country he is, I guess. That's, See, yeah. and I don't believe real country stars are really going out there raking barns and stuff. They're off in Vegas singing. So I say it's a rock star romance. You can't put it in the cowboy category. See, I've read both because Lorelai James writes cowboys uh -huh. mm -hmm. and she uh -huh. has written country music stars. But then right. if I had like a Jason Aldean character, mm -hmm. I would say that's a rock star. Because he's going out rocking. Like, what is the plot? If the plot is he's going out singing and rocking, he is a rock star. If he is like 
doing barn stuff and hanging out with horses, then sure, it's a cowboy, but then he's not a rock star. He's doing, like, that's what he's doing. Now, hold on here. You realize what you're trying to do. You're trying to put romance in a box, and we cannot do that anymore. I understand the, we don't want to do boxes, but Jen. we love labels. We love the, the genre is expansive for this. <laughs> and you two need to just settle down. Okay. Oh, we are not capable of that. I'll say that right now. <laughs> Our bosses lament that fact quite regularly. Uh, let me add that I'm doing a tour um, on Monday the 12th. I'm going to be at Warwick's in the San Diego area. In oh, Lohan. nice. Cool. The next day, I'm flying to Seattle, and I'm doing an event at Third Place Books with Jane Ann Krantz and Christina Dodd. This oh. is going to be we have rehearsed nothing. And <laughs> we love nothing better than poking at each other. Oh my God. That is going to be so much fun. So that is the actual publication day, Tuesday mm -hmm. the 13th. Yep. On the 14th, I'm flying to Chicago to my hometown bookstore, Anderson's Bookshop. Oh, and that's that's my tradition. So that is just going to be so cool. That's so nice. Then uh, the next day, I fly to Atlanta for the Love Y'all conference, know nothing about it. I'm going to be doing something. Oh, no, no. Next, before I go to Chicago, I'm going to be at um, Poison Pen in Scottsdale. Oh, that's a good That one. is on Wednesday, I think. It's all on my website, SusanElizabethPhillips.com. Uh, I'm going to be checking with John, uh, chatting with John Charles and another author I've never met. That's going to be cool. And then the Love Y'all in Atlanta, I'm going to be with Mariana Zapata. Um, brand new author to me. I just yeah. read her book. And then uh, a, a dessert on Hilton Head, South Carolina, right after that. Wow. So if anybody's listening, check out the website in those places. Yes. That's and awesome. we will have your website linked in the show notes for everybody. Right. So excellent. Well, what's next? Everything she just um, said. No. <laughs> Writing wise, book wise. <laughs> Clint's book story is, uh, Clint's love story is next. I finally have him old enough to write his book. And I swear this is the last Chicago Stars book. I know I've said that before, but I, if, unless I can find a really new angle that mm. catches my attention, because I have to have something that really amuses me mm. or that really interests me. And right now I'm just done with football. Mm. Yeah. That's fair. Fair. Again, great. a great way to sell my books. <laughs> <laughs> such a salesperson well you've done so many great ones yeah. that's why you're How like you, run, you know greatness. yeah you're gonna have to start doing like a monster romance football <laughs> we read it <laughs> a monster on a hiking trail yes there. perfect <laughs> that's how you meet bigfoot Sasquatch. yes exactly mm -hmm. okay all right. Well, Susan, thank you so much. We've had such a fun time talking with you. And one last time, what is your next book coming out on February the 13th? Simply the best. Because this was simply the best. <laughs> yes, it was. Everybody, big Love round of applause. To you. And you have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.